Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep the special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Effie. Hi, everyone. My name is Effie, compulsive over and under eater. Hi, Effie. Hi. Um, Jesse, thank you so much. Uh, you are such a light in this program, and I am truly honored to be invited to speak here. Um, I have been in program for about 11 and a half years. Um, and as I was getting cold feet uh, to share here, I, um, I remembered the role that these podcasts from Light a Candle played in my early recovery. Um, when I met my husband, we were in uh, Brazil, and I literally, I think over the course of, uh, the, you know, 14 hours of being awake, I probably had a podcast from Light a Candle in my ear for more than 50% of my awake time um, at that time. I was, I just gained so much experience, strength, and hope, and it was just such uh, a powerful reminder of um, where I came from and, um, you know, the beauty that was my life uh, because of this program. Um, that, you know, we were, it was like a beach vacation, and I was literally with a podcast in my ear. I mean, he remembers. And so when I was getting cold feet, I said, no, like, I need to be of service to the newcomer um, and to my fellows. Uh, I need to share my story. I, you know, what is that wonderful expression? Uh, you can only keep it if you give it away. Um, that's why I'm here. Uh, not to mention, like, I've been wanting to speak at this meeting for 11 years. So, like I said, um, I'm really honored to be here. Um, so, I'll follow the what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now format. So, um, for as long as I can remember, I was obsessed with my body and obsessed with food. I wanted to, at once, be skinnier and eat more. Um, literally, that was a constant throughout my, my childhood. Um, some early memories are uh, coming home from gymnastics and taking off my leotard and one of my parents pointing out the red lines on my, my you know, thighs from the leotard that hadn't been there a week before when I took off my leotard. Um, the one dessert a week policy when all my friends were allowed dessert. Um, looking at my, uh, my friends at my all-girls school um, when we were changing into our dance outfits or whatever and thinking um, how much heavier I was than them. I was in a normal-sized body um, my entire childhood. I did uh, fluctuate a lot within sort of a normal... No, not within a normal range. I looked normal, but I fluctuated a ton, so much that I was unrecognizable. I remember I would meet somebody, and then a month later I would see them, and they wouldn't recognize me um, because my weight did fluctuate a lot. Still, like, I wasn't 
my doctor was never concerned that I was overweight. My parents were because their standards were slightly out of touch with a pediatrician's standards um, of overweight. But um, so anyway, I, I kind of inherited. Uh, my my mother has this disease. Um, she is anorexic, um, and I inherited her obsession with my body. Um, you know, and uh, she was obsessed with my body and my brother's body. And I always wanted more food as a result because it was always restricted. And I always wanted to be skinny like my mom because I was always too heavy for her. And, um, and that really continued. You know, I, I thought that I was struck abstinent when I came into this program. Um, but I realized about two years ago that I was actually using this program to restrict um, for a lot of those years. And so I sort of retroactively reset my abstinence. And so it's, it's a question mark exactly when I became abstinent. I know that I've had freedom from food and body obsession since um, being pregnant with my son. So that's at least like five years, four and a half years. Um, and it's not so important to me. I, I don't I, I stay up at night obsessing about a lot of things, but but my abstinence state, thankfully, is not one of them. Um, and, uh, okay, so more what it was like. Okay, so um, I was diagnosed with ADD at a young age and went on medication, lost my appetite, and suddenly didn't want to eat anything. Um, and so the constant uh, focus on my body and my food suddenly I was like dramatically underweight and all that stopped. There was no concern about my nutrition, my body, nothing. Like being emaciated was at my, in my uh, household. My doctor was concerned. I was like forced to eat inshore. It was really gross. Um, and then the medication, it stopped working in that way. And, um, and I started gaining weight. And then I started restricting on my own. And basically, like, I would go a year restricting and then a year sort of just grazing and slowly gaining weight. I tried to make myself vomit. It didn't work, thankfully. Um, but in college, I got into compulsive chewing and spitting. So I would, um, I would restrict. I was only eating, like, green vegetables, egg whites, and this one kind of yogurt. Um, and then I would, like, go around town kind of buying all the food that I, my brain and my body craved, and I would bring it into my bathroom. And I remember so well my roommates, who were, like, super gregarious and just, like, comfortable in their skin, I remember them so well right in the living room behind my two locked doors, my bathroom and my bedroom door, laughing, having a blast. And I was literally in my bathroom with my jaw killing me, chewing and spitting food into Ziploc bags. And that was definitely a bottom. Um, and then I'll wrap up what it was like. Um, I left college and I uh, wanted to act. And I was desperate. I had tried a lot of things. Um, Anyway, I went through, like, severe restriction, being very underweight for a few years, and then suddenly, like, I had a lot of loss in my life, in, like, my immediate circle, a lot of 
death and, and sort of severe illness. And, um, and I was using food. Like, I couldn't stop. And I remember telling my therapist, like, at least it's not cocaine. And I remember hearing those words as they exited in my mouth and thinking, wow, that sounds really messed up. I have a problem. And literally the only thing that I hadn't tried in my life was OA, which a friend years before had mentioned. And I went to my first meeting when I was back in New York visiting um, a few of my sick relatives. And my whole life changed in an instant because um, one detail I left out was that I was taught to keep my, my food and body stuff very secret. I was told if I don't tell anyone that I don't like my body or that I'm overweight, nobody will notice that I'm overweight. And so even in my all-girls school, it was like a thing to talk about the diets and, oh, my gosh, I'm so chubby and whatever. I was always tight-lipped, had nothing to do with it. It was all in my head. I was... I couldn't share this. It was just like, so I thought I was the only person with this kind of obsession. I, and so it was incredibly isolating for me um, because I, I didn't even, I, I had seen a therapist for years of my life and had never talked to her about the thing that literally consumed me. I remember, um, I remember being with my best friend at the time um, in my living room and we had, we never got to see each other because we were both leading pretty busy lives she was sitting on my couch and I was literally perched on the arm of of this chair running back and forth to the kitchen because I needed like my sugar-free fixes like I needed my diet soda I needed my sugar-free gum I, I could not be I couldn't even sit in the chair because it was just calling to me every three minutes and I just remember thinking yikes I think I have a real problem. I think I need to do something about it. And I was gaining weight, and I knew I couldn't restrict again. That was the thing. I knew I didn't have it in me to starve like I had always, like, gone in that cycle. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, for vanity's sake, for my sanity's sake, for all of it, I got to do something about this. So I went to an OA meeting. My life changed in an instant because I suddenly saw these people laughing about their, this illness that I had literally used to keep me separate from the rest of the universe that I thought made me different and alien and horrible um, and crazy. And they were sitting there, like, sharing about the ugly details of, you know, their overeating or their starving and laughing about it. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, I'm not alone. And um, and then I remember a woman, Betsy, sitting with me after the meeting for like 20 minutes, just answering my questions. And I remember looking at the clock and being like, nobody is watching her. Like, nobody but me knows she's here. Why is this woman taking 20 minutes for me? This is so strange. And she explained that in this program, when we do service, it's a service to the person and to ourselves. It helps them and it helps us. And that was a, a real contrast from what I had been taught, which is that if you're of service and you're doing it, you know, in any way to help yourself, it's like it doesn't count. Um, and, um, and that has been one of the, the major 
ways that this program has just like shifted my whole world view just that acknowledgement and acceptance that we do service to be of service to someone and also to ourselves and that's like what's so beautiful about it um anyway so I dove into program I was going to a meeting every day um I was told so a few things struck me as I think the reason that this program worked so instantly for me was it was so different from all the things I had tried in two major ways one like the presence of a higher power um, and two this notion that we're not doing it alone together we can do what we can't do by ourselves or alone and um, the higher power thing I had trouble with at first I said you know are you sure God wants to help me with my eating my body like doesn't doesn't God have more important things to worry about Mm -hmm. and someone said you know God wants you to live like a serene life and if that means helping you with your food and your body then that's God's you know purview and I, I went for that, and then I was told to act as if I believed in God. So to thank God before I started a meal. Thank you, God, for helping me stop when I'm full. Um, you know, like I was so sure that God was going to help me, that I, was, I wasn't asking God to help me. I was thanking God for helping me. And I saw the miracles. I saw me for the first time in my life stop eating before my plate was, you know, totally empty I used to like lick every crumb like I was a finisher um and so I saw the miracles and I started to believe in God and that this God wanted to help me with my food and that I wasn't alone and you know reaching out to a fellow when the food called this notion that you know together we can do what we can't do alone I saw that also working um and yeah so this program just like changed my life outside of the food I I started seeing like the importance of being of service to people I had a um a uh, sponsor who said your mind is a very it's a very dangerous place to wander alone Mm -hmm. and um and when I was you know getting wrapped up when I found myself wandering in that neighborhood alone pick up the phone call a fellow Ask them how their day is going and try your darndest to listen to the answer. And, um, and I saw that working, um, just that power of connection and honesty. Um, I think I never thought of myself as dishonest before I came into this program. But um, being in this program showed me retrospectively how dishonest I was with others and myself. Um, and the power of meetings for me really comes from our ability to be 100% honest in these rooms and I'm only as sick as my secrets is one of my favorite um, we don't call them mottos what are they? Uh, thank you, slogans I'm only as sick as my secrets if I'm in a meeting and I'm sharing like I have to ask myself what is it that I don't want to share about Um, and that's what I share about Um, you know what's going to make me uncomfortable to share about and that's what I share about Um, 
And, uh, and so, yeah, so like I mentioned, I think that, so my first abstinence was to eat when I was hungry, not eat when I wasn't hungry. And um, what that looked like was that I waited for um, physical feelings of hunger before eating. And that might work for some people, um, but for me that was waiting too long to eat. And for me that was another way to praise starvation. Um, And that's what I really realized when I was pregnant for the first time, um, that I had been using this program to restrict. Um, And, you know, for... For me now, like, I, I try to eat, so I have three meals and two snacks um, and an optional sweet for the day. And there's no foods that are off limits for me. Um, I can really eat anything, which is, you know, proof that this program is such a miracle. When I first came in, I had a laundry list of red light foods. There was practically nothing I couldn't overeat. You know, like a bag of lettuce I could devour. Um, You know. Uh, Thank you. Oh, wow, my watch is so... Oh, I got it. Okay, thanks. (laughs) Um, And now, you know, I have to ask myself, um, what's my spiritual condition? But, um, you know, if I'm feeling spiritually fit... I really can eat anything like the lady, Um, and I often catch myself, like, not thinking at all about my next meal, you know, like these miracles. It used to be when I was finished with a meal, all I did was think about the next meal. That is not the way my brain works now. Um, This program has really restructured my brain around food and also around um, personal relationships. Um, I'm jumping around a bit, but I hope that's okay. Um, I, this notion of control, um, and powerlessness in this program, uh, um, I was really raised to believe that if I wanted something, I did everything in my power to get that thing and that you know encompassed changing people um, and this sort of like very unrealistic understanding of what I had control over and uh you know, like a person in, close to me um, was like kept on life support for like months, you know, because there was this belief that we could keep someone alive. Like, um, and that I think this program forced me to see like all of my suffering and all my pain to this day comes when I'm in this misguided belief that I can change people. Um, You know, even if, 
no, I don't want to go there. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think, you know, when I start obsessing about my body or food, like, my old sponsor used to say, like, okay, what's really going on? You know, it, it's not about whether you've gained a pound or not. Um, and part of my absence is that I don't weigh myself. Um, but, you know, it's what else is going on in my life? Who am I trying to, like, change to be something they're not? Um, and, and that's why in these rooms, like, some people will say, like, oh, that's an issue for another program. But for me, it's about the food, and it's not about the food. Um, you know, if I am obsessing about food or my body, chances are I haven't relinquished control over something, uh, a p- person, place, or thing that I need to. So um, for me, I have a lot of clarity about that, and that's why I permit myself to share about the food and not about the food in these rooms. Um, and I'm also in another program. Um, but anyway, so what is what is my food stuff look like today? So I don't chew and spit. Um, I eat three meals, two snacks, and if I want a sweet. I do stop when I'm full. Um, and if for whatever reason I eat and I feel a little bit uncomfortably full, like I let it go. Perfectionism was a huge, huge also player in my disease. And uh, that's something that on a daily basis I try to let go of. Um, But, oh, it's tough, that one. Um, Oh, I thought I saw my husband nodding, (laughs) but I didn't nod in my head. (laughs) Um, um, And... uh, what else? I don't. I don't evaluate my naked body in the mirror. We don't. We haven't owned a full-length mirror um, in years and years. Uh, and my, the house of my childhood was like covered in mirrors. Um, literally, my grandma's house had a mirrored ceiling, mirrored walls, and mirrored ceiling. Um, and uh, and we just like don't have mirrors in every room. We don't have a full length mirror, which is just such a miracle to me. You know, like I have no idea how I look in some of my pants now. And anyway, um, the one thing I wanted to mention on that um, body image point was pregnancy definitely brought me to a new level of powerlessness. Um, and you know, I think I gained like 70 pounds. I don't know exactly because I don't weigh myself, but around 70 pounds with my son. And uh, and letting go of that weight like was just such a miracle of this program because there was nothing. It was nothing to do with dieting, um, like nothing to do with restricting. It just literally fell off my body by working this program. Um, and um, yeah, I just, I, and same with, with my daughter. I had more, like, negative body thoughts after my second pregnancy, but, you know, I shared about them rigorously in these meetings, and, um, and it, never, it never ruined my day. You know, it was a fleeting thought if, if, it, if it happened. Oh, gosh, I wish my body looked a little differently. And then the thought went away, and I was back to my day, you know, which is a freaking miracle. Um, and, yeah, I think that's, that might be all I need to, oh, sponsorship. Sponsorship taught me how to be in relationship. Um, I have a really insecure attachment pattern, and, um, 
and the fact that somebody wanted to answer my call at the same time every day and listen to me and help me and be of service and would like remember things that I said, you know, two weeks ago and was committed to my recovery just was for me totally life-changing and taught me how to be honest with someone from my own spiritual recovery, taught me that, you know, someone would be there the next day if I shared my ugliest, the ugliest parts of myself. Um, Yeah, just like taught me about relationships and then being a sponsor to someone, you know, taught me the other side of that relationship and how to be there for someone day after day, how to love someone you know, because of their ugliest sides, not in spite of their ugliest sides, but because of, you know, their most humiliating or whatever actions and, and facets. And um, and I believe that the role of sponsorship, I mean, I believe the life I have today, I am sure I would not have this life. When I entered this program, I think my longest relationship, I mean, was like six months. Um and it was barely a relationship, you know. It was really unhealthy. And um, I know I, I also totally did a 180 career-wise. I never would have had the um, the courage to make that change um, without this program and without the presence of my higher power supporting me through it and my sponsors. And um, and I think just probably my obsession with food and body probably would have prevented me from, you know, committing to major life changes in the way that I have. Um, so I owe my life to this program. I, I wouldn't have my two children, my husband, um, the healthy relationships um, with my immediate family members that I have today um, without this program. So, you know, to the newcomer, just keep coming back. Um, don't leave until the miracle happens. And act as if you believe in a higher power. That, that was the advice given to me that really changed my life. Um, and the other one was, uh, <laughs> I'm forgetting the, the pithy slogan version, but, um, you know, like, take, follow, follow the people who, who have what you want. Like, be open to suggestions, you know. I, if somebody had what I wanted, I was open to any suggestion. I still am. I will try anything. Thank you. Um, to have the serenity and the freedom and the peace and the hope, the hope that this program gives me. I had no hope. And that's what was so desperate about my, my food and my body obsession. I thought that I was stuck with this, that this was my my fate, and I was stuck with this for the rest of my life. And this program, listening to you all and seeing that you had overcome or you had recovered, that's what gave me hope and continues to when I have a rough day. So uh, I'm so grateful, and 
Thank you for listening. Thank you, Leslie. Um, could you talk more about how, um, like, you dealt with your mother, like having a mother who is anorexic, and and thus like having coming from that mindset, and how you recognized that it wasn't healthy, and how you dealt with, you know, still having her in your family and being able to move forward in recovery despite that kind of presence in your life? Yeah. So, oh yeah, how did I come to recognize that, um, or how how did I um, change my relationship with my mother through this program, um, knowing that she is a part of my life and she suffers from an eating disorder? So that was a really long journey and I have to say that even now when she comes to visit I have trouble um, seeing her under eat seeing how uh, emaciated she is seeing how um, under eating impacts her um, mental and physical abilities Um, and compassion plays a huge role in my ability to um, to relate to her, you know, she's sick and suffering. Mm -hmm. And this program teaches us that um, we need to have compassion for those who are sick and suffering, um, no matter how it manifests. and so I try to remember that, you know, when she's like pushing the food around her plate and I want to be like, just eat. Um, you know, I try to remember how hard it was for me at times um, to just eat. Um, and I just try to have compassion, like poor thing, like her memory doesn't function and, you know, she's exhausted after an hour because uh, she walked so many steps before, you know, she saw my grandkids, and uh, so it's compassion, and it's also just the constant reminder that I really don't want that body with the all the costs that come along with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I spent my entire childhood wanting to be bone thin, or not my childhood, most of my life wanting to be bone thin, and what I've recognized is for me to do that, the costs are just too much not worth that I also don't really want to look like that anymore I don't want to look like that anymore Um, but that just sort of evolved on its own Um, but yeah so just remembering for me when I haven't eaten enough I get really anxious that's the first thing that happens I start thinking something terrible is going to happen I'm going to somehow like wind up in an ambulance like just crazy things happen in my brain um, I've had panic attacks when I've not eaten um, enough, and you know that anxiety is something that, whenever I share about, it, I get like emphatic nods, um, and it's not shared a lot, uh, at least in the meetings I go to. But the anxiety that comes with under eating for me is truly horrific, and um, and it's just that alone is not worth it to me to be in a skinny, skinny body. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Thank you very much. Um, are there ways that you raise your children now after program that you wouldn't have before? Oh my gosh, yes. <sighs> oh yes, are there ways that I um, raise my children now because of program that I wouldn't have before program? Yes, two major things. One, I try not to give advice. Um, and, and this is something that was hugely different for me with my adult relationships and, and uh, pervades into my, my relationship with my kids. You know, I, I try my best. I mean, I know that as a parent, I, I do need to, to teach and guide. But um, whenever I can, I, I try to empathize and relate. You know, if, if my son is, um, is acting out in some way, Rather than be like, you know, go to your room. It informs my entire way that I relate to my children. Rather than go to your room, you know, and basically message like, your feelings are too much for me. Go to your room and deal with them on your own. I, um, I go down and I give them a hug. And I say, you're having really big feelings right now, huh? You know, what are you feeling? Are you angry? Are you mad? Are you sad? And, you know, that comes from this program. Like an acceptance of what's underneath the behavior, the feelings underneath the behavior, and, you know, not trying to push them away and eradicate them like I tried to with my food behaviors and my body obsession, but looking at the feelings and accepting them and knowing that if I can't do it alone, he can't do it alone at three. So sending him to his room to sit with his his unmanageable feelings is, you know, not anything that I ever want to do, no matter what his age. Um, and I want him to know that his feelings are are absolutely perfect. Um, and so that's the first thing. And then just his their relationship with food. I mean, it's... I, um, I want them to be intuitive eaters. I had a, a fellow... I want nothing more than for them to be intuitive eaters, where they, for me, what that means is they can listen to their bodies and eat based on what their bodies are telling them. Um, and so what that looks like is I don't restrict. I don't restrict. I, I try not to fetishize certain foods, desserts, and sweets um, by saying, you know, if you eat your lunch, then you'll get dessert. I, in fact give, sometimes, give dessert side by side with um, the main course or whatever, and what, it's just such a miracle. When I do that, he'll, like, have a bite of the whatever and have a bite of the chicken and have a bite of the whatever and have a bite of the chicken. It's not like he's like, you know, with the dessert um, and then leaves the chicken. It's just fascinating <laughs> what happens when you don't, like, put certain foods on a pedestal. Um, and, uh, and I don't, like, I don't say, uh, I tried in the beginning to be very, very regimented about breakfast, lunch, and dinner, snack time was here and there, um, because as a fellow said to me, who has a similarly aged baby, like, that's what works for me, like, mm -hmm. I have my meals with life in between, and what I realized is, um, I have an eating disorder, and that's what works for me. My three-year-old is not having eating disorder. And so I cannot 
put on him the structures and tools that work for me, they, they're not necessarily the right fit for him. And in fact, my son, you know, and my daughter who's younger, they're born with a healthy relationship towards food. And so if I don't trust his food, his hunger cues and his wishes for food, he sure as you know what, ain't going to trust them either. So if he says he's hungry, like that's the end of the story. He's eating. I'm not saying, you know, because we were having, he was having tantrums when I would say, oh, it's not lunchtime yet. And he would be on the ground screaming and crying for food. And I'd be saying, it's not 12, you know, and that felt so horrific to me. And I finally realized, I read a book and I just realized like, no, 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 I I need, above all, if I want him to trust his hunger cues and trust his body, like, I need to trust his hunger cues and his body. And suddenly, like, food became not a battle in our house, you know? And, and the miracle of it is that once I did that, A, the obsession with sweets kind of went away. Yeah, he's a kid. He has a sweet tooth. He asked me for, like, Mommy, can I have five Skittles, please? Because, like, that's what, for whatever reason, I said five Skittles. Anyway, um, but the crazy thing is, is that his body gets hungry at breakfast, 10 o'clock snack time, 12 o'clock lunchtime, 4 o'clock snack time, that I wanted so desperately for him to follow. That's actually when his body gets hungry. I just had to let him guide me, you know, and guide him. And, and it sort of goes back to the first point I made about how this program affect how I treat my children. Like, I am not like his sculptor, right? I'm not sculpting the human that I want to create. He's going to grow into the human. I'm just like a witness. And I want to, like, support him as I, as I can. So, um... Yeah, thank you so much for having me.